Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. We're not talking about how we sing songs. We're not talking about what songs we sing. We're not talking about how we pray or how we take the Lord's Supper. All of these things as has been so adequately defined in faith development are preferences. By definition, tradition can be defined as precept and concept transmitted down. They are specific, long-standing practices usually handed down from one generation to another. To give you a better understanding of tradition, they can be like a racer's relay baton, passed from one runner to another. When the runner receives the baton, they don't think about what he or she is carrying. The only concern is not to drop it and pass it on to the next runner. It could be a rattlesnake, but we pass it on. As deadly as that might be, we pass it on. Don't misunderstand me. Traditions are beneficial greatly and should not be abandoned, but, 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 When traditions are not beneficial, when traditions are deadly, the consequences can be devastating. Our theme for this month has been biblical illumination. This word illumination is only found once in the King James Bible. It literally means to shed rays. Speaking of light. The sense of the word is to brighten up. The implication is to brighten up because something somewhere is dark. But another fitting definition of illumination is the act or process of making something clearer. It has the idea of revealing that which is unseen and making it known. So for our purpose, illumination can be viewed as giving light for understanding. Light which gives understanding. I wish it was that simple, but there's a problem. There's a great problem. It's a problem not only within our society, It's a problem within our government that infiltrated our nation that even has crept into the church. Before I get to the problem, let me give you the opposite of illumination, and that will tell you the problem. The opposite of illumination is to make something darker 
or to distort something. Now, here's the problem. The problem is going to be found in John chapter 3, verse 19. I know a lot of times we look at John 3, 16. But see, we need to read a little farther to get some real points out of that. Here's what Jesus declared in John 3, 19. And this is the judgment. That light has come into the world. And the people loved the darkness. Rather than the light because they're works or deeds were evil. <laughs> My brothers and sisters, I want y'all to think with me on this. Evil works is bad enough. But when evil works become a national tradition, it becomes a norm. The outcome is a culture that's insensitive to morality. Thus, there's no sorrow. See, this is what the devil wants you. There's no sorrow for your action that will lead to repentance. We're in a culture today that, that will not put a person in a mood to feel like they are doing anything wrong. In fact, we always have an excuse for whatever we do. The end results are actions which are clearly defined in the Bible as wrong, has become legalized and accepted as right. This was the case in our text. By way of background, these passages are recorded back both in Matthew and in Luke with variations, and I'll be using both. During this time, Jesus' teaching ministry was at its peak. Thousands of people became convicted. They began to come to listen to his message. Many of these people came from long distance because they weren't to hear what this man from Galilee had to say. And this led to two miraculous events or occurrences that pushed Jesus' ministry to its highest level. It amplified his popularity so much. Two events. He fed 5,000 men with two fish and five loaves of bread. And when they took over the residue, had 12 baskets left. I don't figure out the numbers. I just read the scripture. Then Jesus began to heal all those who were sick. He couldn't get to everyone, so everybody began. It's amazing that the song said people just touch his cloth. If they can just touch the hem of the garment, they were instantly healed. They were restored to good health. And the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin council, the Pharisees and the Sadducees became extremely jealous of Jesus. But they could not turn the tide of Jesus' fame. The more they tried, the more popular Jesus got. So they found fault with Jesus' disciples. One point I learned when I began to look at this is that sometimes when you are a follower of Jesus, while they can't do nothing with Jesus, they'll find fault with you. Every little thing that you do that's not right, they're going to point out. 
What was their accusation? What fault did they find with the Lord's disciple? First, we want to look at Matthew chapter 15, the first two verses. Then the Pharisee and scribe came to Jesus from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. The problem with Jesus was so serious that they sent a delegation all the way from headquarters, from Jerusalem. Again, they can't find nothing against Jesus, but when they noticed that Jesus' disciples didn't follow their traditions of ceremonial purification or ceremonial washing, they saw an opportunity now to challenge Jesus. Can I give you a little of the history? Before every meal, strict Jews would ritually wash not only their hands, but from their elbows all the way to the tip of their fingers. And they would wash them twice. One time they would wash them to get what they called the salt defilement off. And then they would rinse again to get the water that had washed the defilement off because it had become defiled. Not only did they wash there from elbow to fingernail, they washed every cup, every plate, every utensil the same way, twice. Sometimes this process, depending on how many people are going to eat, could take up to two hours. Reminding me one time when we were at a home church, invited to dinner. At one of the sisters' house, and she gave us a menu of chicken, potato salad, and collard greens and cornbread. We've been working at the church all morning. Got there about 11 o'clock, excuse me, about 1 o'clock. She hadn't did nothing. She had to cut the chicken, make the cornbread. Boil the potatoes and pick the collard greens. So y'all can imagine we got that one, but we ate about four. This process of purification took a long time. Took only 30 minutes to eat the food, but two hours to prepare. The Old Testament contained no such ordinance. But these Orthodox, these strict Jews regard this violation as serious as sexual offenses. So when they saw Jesus' disciples not washing their hands according to their tradition, they saw an opportunity to show how spiritual and superior their teaching was over Jesus. Notice they said, why do your disciples? You, you, you should have taught them better than this. You should have taught them to obey the law, but you didn't. So we are got to be superior. But Jesus answered their accusation with one of his own. He rebutted their concept, thinking they knew more about the law. Matthew 15 and 3 says, and he answered them, why do you, you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? So we have here a balance 
of the word of God versus tradition, versus the precept, versus the concept that's been handed down. And I hope today that the church family will recognize that we have some new traditions in this country. Hold on a minute. Tradition of the elders originally was passed down by word of mouth. Something that they would say. But over time, these traditions became written down and they were placed alongside the law of God. But by and by, these traditions became so important to these elders that these traditions superseded the word of God. In other words, they became more important than what the word of God said. And Jesus proceeded to give them an example of how their tradition had taken priority of the word of God. And I want y'all to read more into this than what I'm saying and what I'm implying. Jesus gives an example in Matthew 15, 4 and 6 of their putting the word of God beneath the tradition. For God commanded, for God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whosoever reviled or disrespect, father or mother must surely die. Boy, a lot of kids be killed today, wouldn't they, friend? But you say, if anyone tell his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You see, the law of God contains a spiritual caregiver responsibility. This Greek word honor means to pay respect, but it also includes the financial obligation of the children to care for their aging parents. I'm going to give you one new tradition that I even have in my notes, yeah? It used to be that when child grew up and got a job, they helped the parents out. But the new tradition is you stay in their house until they die. And then you take their house and you won't have it a year because you won't pay the taxes. This responsibility was being violated by those children who were selfish and unconcerned. One of the things that I want to do one week when my father messed up the money and I saw my mother struggling for to be in a position where I could take care of my mama. But this new tradition, we want mama to be taken care of so they can take care of us. It's, it's tax season starting next month. And we got something called tax evasion. What they doing here was care evasion. Let that sink in a minute. 
they have a responsibility to care for their parents according to the word of God, but they were evading it. They used this term called Coban, K-O-B or C-O-B-A-N. It permitted them to make a claim on their income tax, their caregiving thing. They claimed that they had taken a certain amount of money and dedicated it to the care of God's temple. And if I don't give that to the temple, God is higher than you and I ain't got nothing left for you. So regardless of the law to honor their parents, some of these people used the tradition to avoid what God had already commanded. Dedicating money to the temple was voluntary. The care of parents was mandatory. They thus robbed the word of God of his power and authority and reduced it to something that was meaningless and had no effect. But what was the issue? Why, why, why would young people not want to take care of their parents? Apparently they had some money. So, so why were they doing it? What was the real issue? Y'all hear me now as Jesus speaks from Mark chapter 7, verse 6 and 8. And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesize of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrine and the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God to hold to the traditions of men. Jesus quoting from the Old Testament, which the religious leaders held in high esteem. They held it in high honor. But referring to Isaiah prophecy, Jesus said there's only lip service what you're going through. The real issue is that you got spiritual heart trouble. The Bible did predict this, that there was going to come a time that children was going to take advantage of their parents. That the love that was naturally given to a child or a mother was going to diminish. Religious leaders' tradition led to a self-conceived worship. They thought they were doing right, doing it as long as they were doing that, but when they went into the temple, they were all pious and spiritual. And God looked at their worship as nothing. And this led Jesus to a great teaching opportunity. Jesus' clarification was found in verse 7, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 15 of Mark. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the thing which proceeds out of the heart of what defiled the man. Tradition of the elders stated that eating with Hands, not ceremonially purified, will defile the person. Here's what they taught. Defile hand leads to defile food. Defile food leads to defile body. But Jesus said that a man is not morally defiled by what he eats. 
Jesus' illumination, clarification is found in verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, received evil thoughts, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, deeds of covenant and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. Out of the heart. See, see, what Satan has done, he's changing the hearts of man. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, if, 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 if it's going to be a fight on the playground, talk about my mama. Oh, it was on then. I mean, you, you talk about my dad a little bit anyway. But talk about my mama. And it was on then. Because there was something in our hearts that drew us close to mama. So when we see people themselves talking about their parents, it's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. Jesus identified 13 acts of sin. And I want you to do a self-check. See if you got a heart condition. Because you may not, you may not have evil thoughts. You may not be a fornicator. You may not steal stuff. You may not kill people. You may not commit adultery or, or, or covenant or wickedness. You may not be uh, deceitful or sensual or envy or slander. But all of us are foolish. Spiritual heart trouble in Jesus' day led to the tradition of the elders. Nothing has changed in our society today. Every ill within our culture and society today has its root in spiritual heart trouble. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all of these things, but I want to identify some heart trouble that had led to new traditions today. And I got three or four areas I want to deal with. The first one is new tradition in religion. You can go to any first line seminary. To be taught the word of God. One of the things they're going to tell you. Is that the Bible is just another book. Filled with narrow minded. People's opinion. At one of my meetings at Mercer. I think it was a. Uh, Three weeks ago, I was sharing with my wife. I was very, I don't even know what the word I want to use. Let me just say disappointed. And the fact that they're changing the name from Roberts 
school of Christianity to Robert's school of religion. And they then proceeded to introduce their newest faculty member who was not a Christian. That's a new tradition. That's what we're going to. Another new tradition is the religion is for weak-minded people who need a false support system. Now, I'm talking about intelligent, educated people. There's a new group of people called the nuns. Some of you heard me talk about them. These people reject affiliation with any known faith group. They say our affiliation with religion is none. Yet only 46 of these perceived people claim not to believe in God. And the 54% of the people that say they believe in God don't affiliate with a church because they don't like the way the church stands on social and political issues. This has led a lot of churches to adopt a new tradition. They change the way that they do ministry to make it easy for those people who are not believing that the word of God is relevant to attract to be part of their ministry. Here's something interesting. The nuns' population in the last 20 years has increased from 16 to 23 percent. During that same period of time, Christianity has fallen from 78 to 71 percent. That's a new tradition of religion. There's also a new tradition called humanism. Humanism is an outlook, a system of thought which value human solution to our problems rather than divine resolution. Humanism is the progress of philosophy of life that without theism or other supernatural belief affirms our ability, and this is a statement from their website, and responsibility to lead ethical life of personal fulfillment that aspire to the grace of God greater good. In other words, they ain't concerned about nothing but them. This is the, the, the new me. It's all about us. And this has led to one of the, the things that, again, you heard me talking about legalizing a tradition. Humanism has led to this thought. A woman's body is her own. What's conceiving her can be disposed of just as she wishes. Those of you that may have been listening to the news that the state of Georgia voted barely, that life begins at the first heartbeat. We're going to see how long that's going to last. I don't want you to misunderstand me. Abortion is sin. But the worst thing about any sin is when people think that what they're doing is right. See, because when you recognize that it's wrong, 
you, you, you repent for it and ask for forgiveness. The devil wants you in a situation where you think it's right, so you'll never ask for forgiveness. Another point of humanism is right and wrong. Good and evil depends upon the situation and the person involved. Might be wrong for you, but it's right for me. The third area where we find new tradition is the institution of marriage. It's being pushed all over TV. All you got to do is look at it. You can love and marry whosoever you want, regardless of sex. Again, you find a clear violation of the word of God and people buy into it for the sake of their traditions. From a pastoral point of view, I had to point this out. Because the new tradition is engagement is the same as marriage. But engagement is a promise. While marriage is a commitment. There are also new traditions in our local churches. And we got two extremes. First of all, it's legalism. Legalism. Where you must follow a certain set of rules and regulations to maintain your salvation. You got to wear certain clothes. You can't do this. You can't do that. And the other stream is cheap grace. You can get saved and do whatever you want to do. You don't have to change. Just come as you are. Now I say this, and this this ain't part of some I had been studying. And I know it's a touchy issue for a lot of folks. But when we didn't have places to go and things to do, Sunday was a priority for us. And when Sunday came, we wore our best. I venture to say that three weeks from day when we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, long ago, everybody used to be in church. This church won't be packed out. And some people won't see it as significant enough to wear their best. I imagine our Lord and Savior just, you know, people say, he don't care what you wear. Y'all need to read the scripture because it, it gives an example about a man came to a wedding not dressed. It's kind of like me and the way that I view sports. When I went to the last Falcon game, I know me and Joe and Robert, we were there a couple of times. We sit on the Falcon side. 
We had red and black on. We, we, we didn't have white and blue on from the Carolina Panthers. We didn't have black and gold from the New Orleans Saints because we were proud to be a part of the Rise Up group. And Sunday morning on the 21st, I'm wondering how many are going to be proud of the Sunrise group. Yeah, yeah, we, we can come just as we are. But we are not to remain just as we were. Can I give you an example? Coming to Jesus is like the time when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead by saying, Two words. Come forth. But Jesus said something very special after he said, Come forth. He said, Lose him. You see, you see, when 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 Lazarus came forth, he still had grave clothes on. See, that's bandage that was stuck around and and as his skin began to decay, it stuck to the bandage. So losing him was discomfort and pain. But it was necessary for him to live like a man that was alive. Whereby saying, we got a lot of people that have come to Jesus. They come forth, but they ain't loose. Because we have gotten so sensitive to political rightness, we won't tell them, Fred, they need to take on some stuff. We said, just let them be. Because we realize that the process of untying is uncomfortable. And we don't want to make nobody uncomfortable. Next month theme is rest restoration. Making people sometimes uncomfortable by untying them is necessary for complete restoration. Too many Christians are walking around like zombies. The new Christian said, don't offend them. But Jesus is saying, come forward. He's calling people to come forth out of evil thoughts. He's calling people to come forth out of fornication. He's calling people to come forth out of thievery. He's calling people to come forth out of murder. He's calling people to come forth out of adultery. He's calling people to come forth out of covenants. He's calling people to come forth out of wickedness. He's calling people to come forth out of deceit. He's calling people to come forth out of sensitivity. 
He's calling people to come forth out of envy. He's calling people to come forth out of talking about one another. He's calling people to come forth out of pride. And he's calling the church to come out of foolishness. My assignment as pastor is to untie after the Lord has called for. And this is accomplished from the just and the illumination of God's word. You cannot be loose from what binds you till you hear Jesus call your name and say, call forth. And Jesus is calling somebody today come forth. Do you hear his voice? In the cellars of your heart, do you hear him calling you? And will you answer today? Here's how you answer. Stand with me. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.